Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Skirtu, and you can find me at www.therapistinstlouis.com, and you can find this podcast at www.aboutsexpodcast.com. And with me today is Dr. Lex Brown-James, LMFT, CSE, CSES, and I always ask people in their little questionnaire that they send to me, what makes you awesome? So Lex says, I'm the coolest nerd you'll ever meet, being a full-time mompreneur, raising toddlers with hashtag shame-free sex ed, and being the hashtag couples clinician is the perfect cyclone of dopeness for me. I probably wouldn't have said it as good as you, though. I just realized, I'm like, she should have said this. So hi, Lex. Uh-huh. <laughs> hi. No, you nailed it. <laughs> I just think it would have sounded more dope if you said it. So anyhow, thank you for being <laughs> on the show. And, um, well, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do? Ah, oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here. So I get to be a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades, but my primary focus as a sexologist and marriage and family therapist is really trying to help folks get to that shame-free sex ed, right? So eliminating shame from sexuality and being able to center pleasure. And I get to do that in a couple of ways. So one, I work specifically with couples to help them create, build, maintain, and perpetuate safe, positive, intimate relationships. And then on the other hand, I do that around education and specifically educating adults about how to work with children in shame-free sex ed environments. So how to be sex positive as a caretaker and a parent. All right. Now, before we get into this next conversation, I just want to stop to give us a word from our new sponsors. So I am now working with a really cool company called Let's Get Checked. You can find them at trilgc.com slash stay kinky. What's really cool about this company actually is that they're doing testosterone testing for men and hormone checks for men and women. A lot of people are struggling with hormonal imbalances and reduced testosterone levels, which really can impact your sex life. And so more and more men and women are trying to test their hormone levels to see how they're doing. One in four men over 30 are actually low in testosterone. Symptoms you might want to look at include fatigue, erectile dysfunction, low sex drive, anxiety, brain fog, even having a hard time making decisions, which is basically most of my client population. (laughs) Just teasing. But I mean, enough of you who come see me are actually really struggling with testosterone levels and your sex drive. So what's cool about this group is you can pick from either a male hormone test kit, a female hormone test kit, or an STD test kit. And what's really cool is they send it right to you in your home. You do what you need to do to take the test. And depending on what test you use, you'll either have to do a blood sample or a blood sample and a urine sample. And then you send it back and everything's completely confidential. And basically they deliver to your home, they collect your sample, they review your results for you. So depending on what happens with your test, they may provide a prescription in some cases. Usually it would only be for something like if they're treating STDs. If you do end up having some something longer term like hormone therapy, then you'll likely be referred to a longer term provider. But at least you'll know where you stand. So it's really cool. Your results are available and they'll be reviewed by a physician. And then a nurse will contact you for a consultation over the phone. The Let's Get Checked Laboratories are CLIA approved and everything is completely anonymous. So again, that website is trylgc.com slash staykinky and use the coupon code staykinky to get 20% off. Well, so what are things you do to facilitate a shame-free zone? 
So there's a couple of things. One, I invite everybody that is an adult to go ahead and sit down and embrace all of the stuff that they've been taught and figure out what's useful and what's not, right? We all get messages from all sorts of places, our family of origin, society, our colleagues, our religious institutions, all of those places. You need to invite that in and say, what really resonates with me? What is something that I want to pass on? And make cognitive choices of why you're choosing to pass these things on. Are you just doing this for traditionalism? Are you doing this because you don't have another way to go about it? Are you doing this because you're feeling unprepared? Then once we figure out what our own stuff is and sorting through like our own value systems, we start to appreciate the value systems of others and how we potentially have a chance to shape those. So once we start on that journey, we have to remind ourselves that sex positive doesn't mean go out and bang every person you can. It's it can mean it, but positive. it doesn't have to. <laughs> right. And, and people, I think, often take that stance. So I'm just like, uh, not exactly, right? It is, it's a consent-based education that promotes bodily autonomy and talks about all of the different intersections that affect sexuality, right? Because we have so many different ideas now around what sexuality is and what it contains. And it's growing every single day. I like learn new words every other day. It's amazing. <laughs> so I want to invite people to do that work and to not feel bad about it, not feel like they're bad people because they have these natural desires or curiosities. So essentially you're trying to get people to take a more active approach to their sex education as opposed to passive. Like to your point, a lot of messages come in. We've learned all these things, but which of these things are you actually embracing as, you know what, this fits for me. And which of these things are like, yeah, I don't feel like this fits. Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I got you. And like, so what, role or like in what way does that help so you said you do couples right so like how does that help couples Mm -hmm. say I don't know like what are their typical goals and and like when they do that how does that help them kind of move forward so lovers come to me sometimes at the end of their ropes honestly and I know it's so common (laughs) it's like oh no it's it's the the door if this doesn't work we're divorcing I'm like well that's a little no pressure okay Uh, (laughs) let's make it work got it (laughs) right uh the the little bit of it is couples also come to me and I'll say couples struggles polycules you know groups of folks lovers they'll come to me and be like well we've never talked about our sexual fantasies with one another and I'm like okay well, if this is the person you've decided to be with, maybe we should know like what our turn-ons and turn-offs are. Maybe we should know like what fantasies we might want to have in real life. And it might really, really help us to figure out what pleases you so you can tell them and vice versa, right? And so they don't necessarily, they haven't been taught that these conversations are okay, that you don't have to live in, this world by yourself that brings you so much pleasure, but giving them permission to invite others in. And it really does help build the building block of intimacy of saying, I trust you with something that I haven't trusted somebody with before. And you're taking care of it. 
you know, I really think you're speaking to sexual chemistry here too. And that like, I've noticed that people have this idea that you either just fit really well or you don't, and you can't learn to be new or grow as a lover, but like you just bring this certain set of skills. But the reality is there are a lot of things you can learn. Chemistry can be built and developed. And actually to expect somebody to know what you might like or enjoy without having a conversation is a pretty tall order. (laughs) Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. You're exactly right. And to think that they're supposed to have that education without you being around and we already know school systems don't give us this education. Oh my gosh. They give us nothing. (laughs) I did learn about hygiene. That um, happened. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, My my bio teacher glued uh, two pieces of construction paper together, uh, a blue piece and a red piece and asked the kid in the class to separate them and then told us that this was sex. Uh, <laughs> and that you always are in, in with one another. It was horrible. That sounds dangerous. Really, are you really gluing I together? I so many questions. <laughs> You're I like, was like, what's what about, happening? What about condoms? And like, your body is renewed after seven years. And so, what are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that is, that's so weird. Although I've heard all, all the horror stories. I actually, from like local people, I can't remember which group this was, but they were just a very shame-based sex education group in the school system. And they were having people chew up crackers and spit them up in the cup. And this is like supposed to represent you having sex before marriage. And I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> like that is wow, horrible. That's gross. Like that's what you are. You're a chewed up piece of cracker in a water cup. And I'm like, really? You guys are horrible people. Like who would do such a thing? <laughs> I have heard that with gum. I've heard people do that with gum. Oh my god! Like, well, yeah, like there's so many negative messages around that too, right? Like, what if you do want? Like, I don't care if you want to be a very sexual person or a little, or just be monog. I don't know if I want to say very. You know, if you want to be open or monogamous is what I should say. Use the terms, right? But like, I think it should be fair for people. Like, you're not this disgusting person if you're one or the other. But I think because sex is connected to shame so much that people do question that. Like, am the idea of sex being something not positive makes people almost want to avoid it altogether. Like I've heard people say in my office, I'm not a sexual person. But when you dig into that, there's a lot of shame associated with sex for why they don't want to associate as being a sexual person. Are you seeing that some too? Or how do you see that kind of play out with couples or individuals, Lex? I see this all of the time, most of the time actually. So when people come in and I might be the first therapist that they're actually being asked about their sexuality, whether it be individuals, couples, or families, because I do a sexual health interview with everyone. And they're like, I've never said this out loud before. I've never talked about this before. I haven't even thought about that so much so that I've actually started to develop a model that I use specifically around getting rid of sexual shame. What's your model? Talk about it. I'm excited. I love models. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I get to I get to talk about it at the University of Michigan and a couple of other places. Eventually, it'll be a book. You know, I have toddlers, and we're in a (laughs) we're in a pandemic. I get it. I get it. Yeah, typing on my computer is not the easiest thing to do when they're always at home. So the (laughs) the model is really a hyper-focused model on what that shame looks like. And we examine belief systems and repercussions of this belief that you've been taught. 
And then we also talk about those individuals and institutions and the equivalence that you hold for them, whether that do you think that they're in the same line with you? Are these things serving you? Are they harming you? What do you believe? And then we work on what you want in the future and how to take those steps forward. I got you. So you're kind of looking at like the pros and cons of keeping those beliefs and understandings, but like really, I like the idea of consequences of that. Like what's an example of, I mean, you mentioned earlier kind of religious beliefs and stuff. So like we all know religion does play a role in how people view sex. So what's an example of a way to unlock shame around a religious belief around sex? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to religion and sex, it goes way past more, way past the idea of just intercourse, right? And maybe saving intercourse for marriage. Often it'll be around respectability politics. And I'm only going to speak to like the black church and specifically I'm a recovering Baptist from the South. So (laughs) you have no idea how many people are recovering Baptists. Go on. Right. Right. They're just like, that it it does in how you express your gender. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and pleasure that you're able to enjoy with your body, not necessarily just masturbation. Well, so like, what do you see in the black church? In the black church, I often see folks who, you know, might not dress the way they want to dress because they're afraid of being thought of as less than, or might accidentally be judging people and holding ideas about folks just because of how they're dressed, for example. And their worth as a person is less than because of what they're wearing and what they look like, or even maybe behaviors that they display. We also see shaming of young girls just based on their bodies, right? And how their bodies develop. So there's this assumption that this person is having sex or doing these things because their hips are a little bit wider or because their body hit puberty a little bit earlier. And that carries its own sense of shame with it as well. Where do you think it comes from? So many places, right? So patriarchy, right? This idea that there's this man-led everything, There's also this idea around protection and wanting to keep people safe from harm. So this idea is if you don't dress this way, if you don't do these things, then you won't be harmed. And I think it's a real amalgamation and belief in these myths that have really perpetuated from survival and try not to be this kind of fetishized and idealistic, idolized kind of horse model for Black women and girls specifically that we're consistently having to combat. Mm. So do you think that sometimes makes... So I'm, I'm very much an outsider here. So if I ask anything that's off the cuff or wrong, please tell me, Angela, that was bullshit. <laughs> but I am curious if as a result of that, um, sometimes Black women feel like they have to hold themselves up to a higher standard so they don't look that way or they don't appear, you know, like you said, to be whorish or in any sort of way negative that, you know, would look, make them feel looked down upon. Exactly. That's exactly it, right? It's this idea that if I am perceived as sexy, I am bad. Mm. So I cannot be perceived as sexy. Or if I am perceived as sexy, I am not obeying within my religion. Mm. So I don't want to be perceived that way. I want to make sure that I am demure and quote-unquote respectable. So that absolutely pops up. 
I got you. But then sometimes then it might be a hindrance to wanting to kind of own your sexuality and whatever sexy means to you. Because in that like hope to like pretend that or not pretend, but like show a sort of front of I am professional and this isn't a part of me, then you can lose aspects of your sexuality that aren't whorish. They're just sexy and fun. But, you know, like you in the uh, basically trying to avoid looking a certain way. If that makes sense, I'm trying to tease it right. out. Right, <laughs> there's definitely a duality that exists, right? Because there's this understanding, and I think a lot of women have this understanding too. And I think it's really under a, a lens for black bodies and specifically brown bodies who are already showing up into spaces being sexualized. The idea that you're supposed to be a lady in the streets and this freak in the sheets, right? So you're supposed <laughs> to present one way. And yet it's very like Victoria's Secret, you're a vixen behind the closed door. And the idea is that all of this performance is for other people. Mm-hmm. It, it really may or may not be for that individual woman's pleasure. And that's what shame gets in the way of. It's a hindrance to that pleasure that women do deserve and have a right to have. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about ownership in this moment, like owning your own body and owning your own sexuality, right? So if it's all for somebody else, then it it leaves out the ability for a woman to just find this is what fits for me and this is what feels good for me alone. And I, I always say this, mm-hmm. but like real desire comes from within. It comes from your own ability to accept and own. This is what is a turn on for me and this is what I enjoy but like when it feels like that ownership is kind of taken away and I'm just doing this for him or them or whoever, then it, it really is a desire killer. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And women will pop right out of that. Right. And so people have probably felt this or have witnessed it. It's called spectatoring when a person steps outside of themselves and is kind of watching themselves do things. Mm-hmm. And so we know that for people that are women and femmes and who have been socialized that way, it creates an inhibitor to like being able to reach their highest form of pleasure, whether that be an orgasm or just really, really good feelings. However you describe that highest form of pleasure, once your head starts to run, you disconnect from your body. So if you've ever been in that sexy moment with a lover and then you're like, oh yeah, I need to do the laundry and I forgot (laughs) to do this thing for work. Oh, you know, if you're a parent, I got to make sure the kids have their doctor's appointments and did Timmy brush their teeth? I don't know. Or is he at least still asleep and in bed? (laughs) (laughs) Right, exactly. You're out of that sexy mode and and you're not going to be able to achieve that high level of pleasure. So it is this allowed and... I'm a proponent for the centering of yourself and your pleasure. It's not your partner's responsibility to get you to that pleasure. It's your responsibility to know what gets you to that pleasure and to help your lover and direct your lover in all the ways that you can. You know, one of the questions you put on your questionnaire is what relationship tips do you hold most dear? And I'm really, I was really curious about that question. So what, which ones do you hold most dear? 
So uh, I did just give that one away, right? So making sure that you are aware of your own pleasure. And I tell all of my clients, I tell all of the people who will listen, do you know which side of your clitoris is more sensitive than the other one? Oh, that's a cool question. Right? I've never asked that. <laughs> do right? you? Because there's a side that's going to be sensitive. I do. I got to be part of a study. It was awesome. All about vulvas. So I got to experience hot, cold different vibrations, different sides, different areas all over my vulva as part of the study. So that was really exciting. That sounds fun. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I got you. So even learning like this is the more sensitive side, whether that's going to be a good or a bad thing, because some people, if it's too sensitive, they might be avoiding that to get their orgasm. Or if some people, it's just the right amount, then maybe they'll be using it more. Like which quadrant of your clitoris? (laughs) Exactly. Right. And, And same for people with penises. They need that as well. But you need to be able to explore your body. The other thing is I really, really don't like the term don't go to bed angry. I, I think that's crap. Uh, if you're <laughs> I angry, you're angry. I, I'm angry <laughs> every bed. day. This year's been a piece of shit. <laughs> yes, yes. This has been, yeah. Amen lights to that. Yes, exactly. But why don't you like so, that one in particular? Like talk about that because I think there's a lot to unlock there. So people, again, socialized as women and femmes have been taught to swallow their anger and to people please. So they'll be liked. It's like, well, I can't be too mad. And especially for black women, you can't be too mad because then you're a black bitch and you're like, oh. And then we're brought up with this idea that we're unwanted by society. We're not good enough in so many other ways. And it's like, well, you can't be too angry at me because that's going to end up in rejection of me. So let me acquiesce. So let, and it's not even like compromise, it's acquiesce, right? And I'm like, nah, if you're mad, you're mad. And that is absolutely fine. I'm more interested in if your anger is the fire, I want to know the feelings that are the logs that are fueling that fire. What is that piece? Tell me, can you identify the feelings up underneath it? You you use anger. You think it's valuable. Oh, absolutely. Anger is a conduit to get shit done. It sure is. <laughs> you know, I just want to I want to beeline this into a, like a racial topic if you don't mind, but I I think that anger has been a much needed um emotion for this year essentially for all the shit that went down. Like I think everything you're talking about just like sparks so much in me because like, I think that pacifying you talk about, like it's a way that people are trying to like over, over explain and over be nice. Like it's okay. It's not a big deal. And it's almost like, it's almost like a way of nicing people out of what they really need. Like, well, this is just what's happening. Like all this over explaining. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, Mm -hmm. like I'm angry. I have been experiencing injustice forever (laughs) and it's not okay. (laughs) So I'm curious, you know, you mentioned earlier before we even had this interview about how you're doing kind of racial justice work too. And I'm curious, I'm curious if you're open to sharing some of that. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love that because I don't, I don't know if America has truly seen black people angry and brown people angry. Because if we were truly accessing and delving into our anger, the world would be burned down. <laughs> this country would no longer exist. Right? Like there's there's no way. There's no way that the fabric of this country would even begin to to live again. It it would implode. 
Mm-hmm. And we have not done that, right? We we still are parts of society. We still establish social societal norms. We have not destroyed this country. Mm-hmm. So that being said, accessing that anger and in the, the racial justice work I get to do, I specifically get to work within the reproductive justice realm okay. where it is really working with healthcare professionals and organizations to be able to look at the racism that's present in the structures and organizations that exist and try to start to dismantle that to stop harming and killing black bodies, including those of babies. So like what, right? and that's hard. Well, so what, what kind of work do you do? Like when you go to hospitals or um, like, yeah, just tell me a little more about it. I'm interested. Right. So the programming that I got to do in St. Louis was across four hospitals. And I worked with nurse practitioners and midwives specifically and sat in on mothering groups. And so these groups were not mothering, centering groups. They're called centering groups. And it's I got to do part of the curriculum development around, hey, here's what we need to look for. Here's how we ask. Here's some of the history right, that comes with being in this field uh, around gynecology, around obstetrics. And I need you to know that these people don't necessarily trust you. They're coming here because they have to, right? They, they, they need help. They're, they're pregnant people. Mm-hmm. And some of them have never had kids before. So building that rapport and that trust, teaching them about nursing even was a thing. So there is a disparity with Black people specifically who nurse and it is less than white people who nurse and we're trying to figure out why and we found out because formula was specifically targeted towards black families and pushed on black families more in hospitals despite the fact that nursing has so many more benefits and people often point to the era where quote unquote women went to work right so women fought for the right to work absolutely White women did. Black women have never stopped working. Ever. We fought for the right to ride the bus to work. Mm -hmm. But we've never stopped working. And so trying to be a nursing parent, right? And still work a full-time job. You know, My you're goodness. bringing up so many interesting points. I, I'm sorry if I'm a, I'm a little quiet because I'm like, it's it's like putting my pieces together when I listen to some of this stuff because, you know, like, all right, so I also have done some work in this trauma area of like, you know, why, why certain populations aren't going to come get help or they're not going to receive help. And in that process, mm-hmm. I was interviewing a lot of uh, my black friends and colleagues. And it was interesting just even hearing the differences and stories for how doctors talk to white women versus black women and how they make mm-hmm. medical decisions. So for example, mm-hmm. my um my friend and colleague, I won't mention her name, but she was saying that when she would go when she was pregnant and she would go and call her doctor, her doctor scolded her for calling too much. And I was thinking to myself, mm-hmm. I've never been scolded by a doctor for calling too much. Like that that is very much like it was an example, but even beyond that, they've shown shown research where um, for pain medication during giving pregnancy, that white women are offered mm-hmm. more medication more frequently than black women. There's this stereotype and a horrible stereotype that black people can handle pain better than white people. And sometimes people mm-hmm. are acting on it 
not even like that that's the other part of this that's tough is that like I think it it can become so ingrained in the way people do things they're not even aware of how they're showing the bias. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, exactly, right? And that's that implicit bias, absolutely. And it's passed down. Mm-hmm. It's passed down in these educational structures and these systems, these hospital and healthcare systems. They got that from somewhere. They just weren't, weren't born and been like, oh, black people can handle pain more than white people. They, no, they got the idea from somewhere. Somebody taught them this. Mm-hmm. And then they carry it on and they continue to teach it because it's what they were taught. And so our jobs are to interrupt those systems, interrupt those narratives. And that's just blackness. When you add fatness onto that, when you add natural hair onto that, when you add darker skin onto that, when you add being queer on top of that or being from another country, like all of those things add up to how the treatment affects our health in so many different ways. So we become at a disparity for healthcare, and then we just stop seeking it out. Mm-hmm. You know, this. so just taking this back to what, what kind of took us down this bunny trail was anger, right? Is the ability to channel your anger into a type of expression, right? Like to the ability to mm-hmm. recognize I'm angry and not just try and squash it or pat, like what, like we were saying, we're not pacifying. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's not a big deal. But like, no, it's, it's recognizing that anger, which is, I think, very closely linked to passion. I think you'd probably agree with that. Um, and that mm-hmm, when people mm-hmm. can channel that in a positive way, that's when we create change, create change in society, change in our relationships. So it sounds like that's kind of the work you're doing is you're teaching people to use their anger <laughs> in positive ways. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't even use positive ways, honestly. It could be negative too. That is, well, <laughs> that's up to the discretion, right? Um, yeah. Like the, some people are going to see something as positive and some people are going to see it as negative. And it really is on a a person-to-person basis and bias if you get angry and smash all your stuff (laughs) right um like well all right that was your stuff to smash (laughs) and you didn't you know you didn't hit your kid i got you you. didn't hit your kid right so so people you you ruined the tv Uh (laughs) uh-huh and i didn't hit my kid right so positive negative violent and it's like all depends But it can be such a thing. And not to shy away from it in relationships. People often think anger and conflict are threats to relationships instead of opportunities to relationships. And I like to try and reframe people to say, like, what's the opportunity here? How do you get curious? How do you meet them in vulnerability so you can understand more? And maybe you will just disagree, absolutely. But I promise you, you will feel closer to a person in understanding that disagreement than completely shutting it off or taking jabs and attacks at them or a full on fight. Or pretending everything's okay when it's not. Exactly. Exactly. Building that resentment. Yep. That's really cool. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about anger myself this year and, and just in general, but like really this year, I think it's brought out so much in people. And I I think it's cool that you're adding like a little bit of value there. It's like, how do we learn from and listen to this anger? Because going back to something else, I think I saw, what did you say? There was something on you. I don't know if it was on yours, but like something about erotic mindfulness, 
um, like the ability to kind of pay it. It's not just about eroticism, but it's like, I think this is all a comment on mindfulness is being the ability to kind of observe and pay attention to what your emotions are saying and what they mean to you and using them to make, I guess, more educated decisions for what is best for you in, in the situation. I don't know if I have a question mm-hmm. there, but I'm curious what your thoughts are. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not something I actually have a chance to speak a lot about, and I think it is so integral to our work uh, as sexuality professionals, because part of sexuality is sensuality. Mm -hmm. It is tuning in. People often say the biggest organ in your body is your brain, and I'm like, no, it's not. The biggest organ on your body is your skin. That is your largest sex organ, Mm -hmm. right? Skin typically outweighs the brain. In, in ways, and especially if you're a fat person, you just have so much more skin that can be pleasured and tantalized <laughs> than some other folks. So enjoy that exploring, right? Um, and when it comes to it, we really do have to figure out and take a take a stock in what is my body feeling? How, what is what is my body smelling that is enjoyable? What are we tasting? What are we hearing? And we don't get to do that enough. We're always trying to figure out how to move from one thing to the next as quickly as possible because of capitalism. It's taught us that we're only worth what we produce, mm-hmm. right? And so we don't think about, oh my gosh, I laughed so hard, my stomach hurt today. And it was just hilarious. Or I got tears in my eyes and I felt the warmth of those tears on my face, right? We, we don't think about that. We don't think about that. That person makes my teeth sweat. <laughs> oh my yes, they are so sexy. Like my mouth just waters, right? We don't we don't really have these things. It's oh I see this. I notice it. I'm on to the next. But what if we really relished in that? What if we really relished in pleasure? Whatever that pleasure was is, like a tasty tender morsel, uh, a back rub from a lover, uh, a blowjob, getting some head, like whatever it is. We really relished in those moments of how we feel those vibrations all the way up and down our bodies and being able to recall that pleasure and bring it back time and time and time again. That is something that we have to actively work on learning how to do because we've been taught to be so out of our bodies. Yeah, I totally agree. It's funny. Actually, I was on, I put some Facebook post up that said pick uh, between two and one was like the best food of your life for the rest of your life or the best sex of your life for the rest of your life. Um, and if you pick one, the other will just be okay. And so my friend posted and she said, food. And I was like, oh, this girl hasn't had that kind of relishing sex then. I was totally thinking, <laughs> it was like, once you've had it, it's like, oh my God, you don't know how to get in your skin, do you? <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Not that I don't like food, because I'm a big fan of food. Like, don't get me wrong, but like, if you've had it, that experience you're describing is just amazing. It's wonderful. And to your point, yeah, it's about being lost in those senses and just enjoying every moment of it, but also kind of being able to shut down that thinking brain, or at least divert from it somehow. <laughs> Well, Lex, it was really good having you on. I uh, appreciate you coming on for the interview. Uh, Let me, uh, will you tell everybody how they can find you if they want to reach you? Oh my gosh. Thank you for having me. This is such a fun conversation. You can reach me at Lex, L-E-X-X, sex, S-E-X, doc, D-O-C, dot com. Or I'm Lex Sex Doc across all social media. So Facebook, Instagram, and Sorry about that. That is my toddler. I know you yeah. got a toddler. You're still a mompreneur. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
always a mompreneur. Yes, and we were talking about maps today. So maps are what it is. But LexSexDoc across all social media is where you can find me. And then LexSexDoc.com. I really like that. That's fun. It kind of rolls off the tongue. Lex sex duck. Sounds right. Absolutely, and of course Although you guys. I get, I get questions. Oh, you get time. questions. Like, what is it? What's what kind email? of a sex duck? So I'm like, <laughs> right? They're like, what? what? I have to put sex, and I'm like, yes. You know, light company. Like That's you can type email. sex. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you, Lex, again. And of course, you guys have been listening to www.aboutsexpodcast.com or you can find me as a therapist at www.therapistinstlouis.com. Thank you, Lex, again for joining us and stay kinky, St. Louis.